0: This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Welcome to another episode of Business by the Numbers. I'm your host, Hunt Emmerich, CPA with Parmelson Associates. A lot of my clients are their own landlords. And on the surface, it's pretty simple. Pay yourself rent, pay that rent from your shop to your LLC. But the reality is, is there are things that you can be doing to maximize this benefit. This is exactly what we're going to talk about this week. Before we get into that, though, I want to have a quick word from our partners who make business by the numbers possible. Why wait until the end of the month for your accountant to tell you how things turned out? With advanced analytics, you can compare any metric, any time, so you don't need to guess. It's all part of shopware.com. In today's world, managing the labor side of your business is more important than ever. Utilizing their industry-leading software, Labor Profit Management, Repair Shop of Tomorrow can help shops maximize their profits by developing a specific plan for each client. Please visit them at RepairShopOfTomorrow.com. So in order to understand the finer details of renting from yourself and being your own landlord, we need to first understand why a real estate LLC is so important. In a perfect world, we have an operating entity for our company, right, for our shop. So either that's going to be an LLC, a corporation, might be an S-Corp, might be a C-Corp, might be a partnership or a sole proprietor, but that owns all of the equipment and actually operates your shop. You know, that's the company that your clients would see, your business, uh, your vendors would see, uh, creditors, you know, it's really the entity that owns the day-to-day operations of it. And for those that own their own building, we like that to be held in a separate LLC. So what we end up doing is we pay rent from the shop to the rental LLC. Very simple, right? Now, a couple reasons of why we do this, but the main reason of why we want to do this is to separate our legal liability. Remember, we set up our shop as an LLC or a corporation, and that's pretty much already been established and everyone understands why. Well, hey, if I screw up something in the shop or if my technicians mess up something, I don't want to be held personally liable. I need to protect my own interest. But a lot of times we don't see that happen on the real estate side. A lot of people don't understand, too, that, hey, this is a commercial property. There is liability that comes along with this that we need to, again, make sure that we're personally protected from it. And furthermore, we need to make sure that not only are we personally protected from it, but if possible, be able to also protect our operating entity or our shop. Now, some people think that we do this for tax purposes, which we really don't because it doesn't actually affect your taxes if you're paying rent to yourself versus if you owned it all under one umbrella corporation. The reason is, is because rental expense, if you're paying it to yourself, actually does not give you any sort of tax deduction. And what I mean by that is this. So think about if you have a shop and you pay yourself a hundred thousand dollars in rent. So on the shops books, we're going to have a hundred thousand dollars in expenses but then on our real estate LLC, or even if we have that real estate owned personally, we're not getting any tax deduction because we're gonna pay tax on the exact same amount we paid in rent. So we have $100,000 in rent expense on the shop, $100,000 in rental income for the real estate. Those two wash out. You know, we're really just shifting income from our right pocket to our left pocket. So again, we're not doing this for tax purposes, we're just doing it to separate our liability. Now, I will tell you, if you are a C-corporation, which most people are not a C-corporation, there is a little bit of planning and tax strategy that we can do here, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Seems fairly simple, right? And I bet you a lot of you listening right now are like, okay, Hunt, I get the basics on it. I have this LLC set up. I have my shop has its own operating entity. I'm good to go. But there's probably a number of people listening right now that aren't currently set up that way. And if you aren't currently set up this way, you probably are doing it one of two ways. First one is if you own a real estate on it, maybe you have it in your personal name. Maybe you have it you and your spouse's personal name. The other option is some clients have it all owned under one entity. Hey, I got my operating LLC, which owns my shop and also owns my real estate. So let's say that you had option one. Let's say that you're sitting here right now and are thinking to yourself, hmm, I think I'm actually on the title of this real estate or I think me and my spouse are actually on the title of this real estate. What do I need to do? It's actually very straightforward. If you own this personally, whether you or joint with someone else, you need to transfer this into an LLC. And ideally, if you own it with your spouse, we put it into a single member LLC. The reason is as follows. So if we transfer this from a personal name to a single member LLC that you also own, you're not gonna have to pay any sort of taxes on it. It is not a taxable event when we're looking at income taxes. And generally in most states and counties and municipalities, it's not a tax event for them either. You're not selling this property. You're just putting it from one entity to another. At the end of the day, you're the sole owner of both of them. You know, usually you have to pay some sort of recordation fees and stuff like that, but no sort of transfer taxes or anything. You know, we're talking maybe a couple hundred dollars. Now, the reason of why, even if you own this with your spouse, that I don't want you to set it up as a multi-member LLC is really just to save you money at the end of the year. And I always advise my clients this. So let's say that I have a shop, you know, right now the real estate is owned by my client and his wife. What I would recommend to them is saying, hey, do not set up an LLC where you guys are both members of the LLC Because yes, it is going to give us the proper legal protection. Both of you guys will be on the LLC. But if we have a multi-member LLC, we're going to have to file a partnership tax return at the end of the year. Again, doesn't give us any tax cost or doesn't really provide a detriment that way. But you're going to have to pay to do an extra tax return. However, if you just pick either you or your spouse to own that real estate, that is now a single-member LLC. So we can file that as a schedule on your personal taxes. So at the end of the day, much, much cheaper to have a single member LLC and really doesn't raise your tax rates at the end of the year at all when you pay someone else to do the tax return. Now, can you go online and set this stuff up? Sure. You can go to LegalZoom. You can go to any number of these websites to set up an LLC. And I will agree with you. It's not rocket science. However, remember the entire reason of why we're doing this. We are doing this for legal protection. And this is something that we only need to do once. And so I always recommend trusting a professional and hiring an attorney to do this. This is probably, you know, attorney or lawyer 101. This is very, very easy for them to do, which means it's probably not going to be super expensive to pay attorney to do this. You know, maybe $500 to $800 to get this LLC set up. Yes, compared to Rocket Lawyer or LegalZoom or something like that, it is going to be more expensive. But I would rather pay a little bit more money up front to make sure that this is done correctly. The last thing that you want to do is get all this stuff set up and kind of be a little bit of a cheapskate and try to do this yourself and then only find out down the road when you actually do have a lawsuit that you didn't quite cross all your T's and dot all of your I's. And just for the fact of saving a couple hundred bucks, it's jeopardized the entire thing of what you're trying to do here. Right. So buy once, cry once, hire a lawyer to do this stuff and be done with it. That's what you need to do right now if you're sitting there and you own this personal, right? Start the process, get this transferred from your personal name to the LLC's name, like I said, between you know, the transfer taxes, paying a lawyer to do this, maybe a thousand dollars one-time costs on this. Look at it as an insurance policy. You pay a thousand bucks once and you're really protecting yourselves in the long run and making sure that you're setting yourselves up for success. Now, the other option here is something that isn't ideal, but it's not as much of a concern. So this example would be is if you own it all under one entity. We get really concerned when you own it personally because you're opening yourself up for personal liability. Now, if you own the shop and the real estate all under one LLC or one entity, you're still giving yourself personal legal protection, right? You don't have your name attached to this, so if someone was to fall in the parking lot, in the shop, on a car, no one's going to be able to sue you. However, we have all of our eggs in one basket. So if someone sues us, whether it's a real estate issue or a shop issue, both the real estate and the shop are you know kind of at risk there. Now, again, right? we're still protecting ourselves personally, so there's not a huge concern on it, but ideally we have those two split out. Now, what are your options if you have it all owned under one entity? Now, honestly, you probably don't have a lot of wiggle room here. Because remember, if you own this personally, we can transfer it into an LLC, no taxable event, nothing going on there. However, if we wanted to pull that real estate out of an LLC and put it into another LLC, the only legal way to do this would be to sell it to yourself. And IRS rules are, is if you sell something to yourself, You need to do it at a fair market value. So let's say 10 years ago, you set all this stuff up. The building at that point was $500,000. Now it's worth a million. So if you wanted to truly get this business out of your operating entity into a separate one, you would have to, quote unquote, sell it to yourself for a million dollars, pay the capital gains tax on it, and then you'd be able to transfer it. We almost never, never, never do this because while it's not a perfect situation to have it all owned under one, It is not worth paying all the tax and all of the kind of added expense that go along with it to get out. And realistically, hopefully it never comes up. It's not the end of the world. You're protecting yourself legally. But, you know, we do have a little bit of a downside here if it's all owned under one. When you started in this business, did you really think that cars would be driving themselves and that people would be buying cars online without test driving them? I don't think any of us did. Yet that's exactly what is going on. On the repair side, the auto industry is changing fast. Customers expect quick answers and proof that they need the repairs that you recommend. They want to pay you while buying a coffee, then rate you on Yelp after picking up their keys. So why stay in a past? A shop owner named Carolyn asked herself the same question, so she created an online shop management system that automates the stuff you do over and over again. She and her team added texting in every step in the process from booking your appointment to posting that stellar review. They learn from their customers just like you learn from yours, and it's the system that's leading the industry into a bright future. Find out more about this and other things at GetShopware.com. In today's world, managing the labor side of your business is more important than ever. Utilizing their industry-leading software, Labor Profit Management, Repair Shop of Tomorrow can help shops maximize their profits by developing a specific plan for each client. Do you know what your effective labor rate is? Do you know your technician's efficiency and productivity? Do you know how much profit dollars each technician is adding to the bottom line? If the answer is no, then this Napa Auto Care Endorsed Program from Repair Shop of Tomorrow is the program for you. Developed for shop owners by shop owners, this program will help you become more profitable on day one. Utilizing their unique labor management systems will allow you to work smarter, not harder. For more information about their programs, please visit them at RepairShopOfTomorrow.com. The biggest question that comes up is when people get concerned about this is, Hunt, I have the business and the real estate all owned under one entity. What happens when I ultimately sell my shop? Am I going to be forced to sell my real estate as well? And the answer is no, it's not going to negatively affect you. It's just going to be done a little bit differently. So the reason it doesn't affect you when you sell your shop and want to hold on to your real estate is when you sell your shop, you're doing an asset sale, which means you're not selling the entity and everything that's owned underneath it. You're selling assets or in this case, specific assets And so what this would look like, and we've seen this a number of times, is I own a shop and I have all my equipment, all my inventory, and the real estate owned under one entity. I want to sell this to someone else, but I still want to play landlord. So what it would look like is an asset sale where I'm going to sell my equipment, my list, my customer list, my goodwill, my name, my reputation. I'm going to sell all of that out of my entity. However, I'm not going to sell my real estate. That is not included in this asset sale. I sell my business, I get my money for it, and now in my operating entity, the only thing that is left over there is my real estate. And so now what happens there is this operating entity that used to be my shop now is surviving and the only thing it still holds is the real estate. Now I have an entity that I can use to just collect rent from my new tenant, pay the taxes, pay my mortgage just like anything else. Now, there's a little bit more planning that needs to be done because if you're an S corporation and you only have the real estate in there, probably doesn't make sense to be an S corporation anymore. But at the end of the day, I just want to kind of let you know that it doesn't really make a big difference to be able to have a seamless transaction or sale here, even if the real estate is all owned under one. Now, what if you already have this set up perfectly? You got an operating entity. You got a real estate entity. This is what we're going to start to dive into. The most common question about this is if you have this stuff already set up correctly is, well, Hunt, how much rent should I pay myself? There's a couple of things that we need to be mindful of here. Overall, we have to pay ourselves fair market value rent in order to protect ourselves legally, right? And so if we're trying to ask an outside party or a lawyer trying to sue us that, hey, you need to respect these two entities as freestanding entities themselves, that we need to be able to prove that, hey, they are actually their own freestanding entities, meaning they look and smell like they are unrelated, meaning we're paying ourselves fair market value and each entity is paying their fair share of expenses. First and foremost, the biggest risk here is let's say that you have a real estate entity, but you're not actually paying rent or you don't have a lease. It's not going to look good. I know a lot of people kind of do end of year adjustments. They reclassify distributions and call those rent. But I want this to look and smell as legitimate as possible. So not only am I going to pay myself rent, I'm also going to draw up a lease between my two entities, just like I would if my landlord was someone unrelated. Now, compared to setting up the entity itself, I don't really advocate getting a lawyer involved in setting up this lease. If you're extremely risk-averse or you have a good relationship with your attorney and they're not going to charge you a ton of money... Great. Go and have an attorney draw up this lease, but it's really not that, I shouldn't say it's not that imperative. In my opinion, it's not the end of the world here. I think the more important thing is to have that lease, not specifically the details in it. So, like I said, if you want to have a lawyer go do this, great, but there's also a lot of ones online. You know, most people do a triple net lease, which we'll talk about a little bit later here. But if you go online and say, you know, commercial lease example, triple net lease example, There's a lot of ones out there that you can put something decent in there. So you have this all formalized and it's going to look pretty darn good. Now, as far as how much rent we are actually going to pay ourselves and what we need to put into that lease, the biggest thing here is like we talked about before is, you know, it's not really saving any money on taxes. We're taking money out of our left pocket, putting into our right pocket. But in the biggest extreme, the thing we do not want to do is we do not want our real estate entity to show a loss. The reason we do not want a real estate entity to show a loss is let's ignore how that would look from you know an outsider's point of view. Well, hey, why would a landlord ever rent to someone if they can't even cover their expenses? But from a tax standpoint, this is the only downside that you can have because real estate losses are limited versus more or less real estate or losses for a shop are not limited. So if you have a real estate entity that showed a $50,000 loss and you have a shop that shows $100,000 in profit there's a good chance that you will have to pay tax on $100,000 of profit that shop has, but that $50,000 loss that the real estate has cannot take that loss, it's limited. Now, we don't lose that loss forever, we can carry it forward, but as you can see, that's not ideal whatsoever. At the end of the day, if you take nothing out of this, the biggest thing to remember here is do not allow your real estate entity to show a loss, period. Now, some of the other things that we're gonna talk about here are all kind of go back to that same idea of, hey, some of these strategies that we use is to ensure that we never have a loss in a real estate entity. So, Hunt, as long as I don't show a loss, then why do I really care what the rent is, right? You said it doesn't make any difference for taxes. So as long as it's at least a $1 profit, why does it matter at that point? The most important piece here is, well, yeah, into your day-to-day business and your you know operating life, It really doesn't matter too much from a tax standpoint if you're paying yourself enough rent as long as it's not showing a loss on the real estate side. But at some point, you probably want to sell this business. Maybe you want to sell it to yourself. Maybe you want to sell it to a key employee or a family member or whatever it might be. We need to make sure that this business can afford to pay fair market value rent. Because yes, you might be willing to take a discount on the rent because it's all coming from the same source, But you're not probably going to be as willing to do that for an unrelated party, a key employee, or, you know, let alone a random person buying your business. One of the biggest things I talked about before where this came up is I was doing a valuation for someone. And one of the big things I always ask on valuation is, hey, are you your own landlord? Yes or no. And if you are, we need to make sure that you have fair market value rent in there. The reason we need to have fair market value rent in the business is, hey, when this person buys the business from you, you're going to put a lease in place that is fair market value. And we need to value the business knowing that this is going to be the expenses they're paying going forward, not necessarily what you chose to pay yourself in the past. So this company that I was looking at, you know, depending on the year, it was paying anywhere from $80,000 to like $110,000 a year to himself in rent. So round numbers was averaging about hundred k from the business to himself. And so when I asked about it, I said, well, hey, what would be rent going forward on it? He said, well, you know, this building, I probably haven't changed my rent for years. This area is really kind of blowing up as far as real estate value. I think it probably about 200000 at least is going to be fair market value. Now, what that ended up doing here is, hey, in the past, this business was set up to pay $100,000 of rent and the bottom line reflected that way. However, if we know that going forward, the expenses for this business are going to be $100,000 higher than what they are right now, then we need to factor that into the value of the business. So let's say that that business was showing a $100,000 profit, but was only paying $100,000 in rent. When we recasted those financial statements for $200,000 of rent, that business is no longer showing any profit. And remember, businesses are bought and sold as a multiple of net profit if you have no net profit, you have no value of the business. What you want to be able to do is you want to be able to go to a prospective buyer or a key employee and be able to say, not only has this business been able to pay you know, fair market value rent, I have a history of three to five to seven years of where this business has been able to not only pay that rent, but also afford it and also still be prosperous. Right. And so even if you look down through it and you say, hey, Hunt, there's still going to be net income here. Even once you adjust it to what fair market value would be, it's always going to look better if you can actually prove a track record of paying that amount on a monthly basis consistently over time. To get to the point on exactly how much rent should I pay myself, the only authoritative way of figuring out the exact amount of what the rent should be is probably going to be to ask a real estate agent or to hire some sort of real estate appraisal to come in and give you the fair market value rent of this. Now, for a lot of industries and a lot of businesses, it's really easy to figure out, but shops are notoriously tricky. The reason why shops are notoriously tricky on figuring this out is because most commercial rental is just done on dollar per square foot, right? So in your market, no matter where you are, retail space, like uh, for a small storefront, is very easily comparable, right? It's just four walls, it's an open space on it, and maybe the going rate is $2 a square foot. Maybe it's $8 a square foot. But once you have that dollar per square foot, you figure out how many square foot the space is, there you go, you got your rent. Where it's tricky for a shop is, it's essentially the same idea, dollar per square foot, but no two shops are the same, right? Maybe that dollar per square foot is, majority of that is office space, not a whole lot in a shop. Maybe it's, you know, pretty good layout of office versus shop space, but it's not set up ideally or it's not set up as efficiently as it could be. You know, think about one where it has a perfect drive in, drive out. There's no sort of kind of weird shapes or weird turns on it. That business or that building is obviously going to be more valuable than the same building with the same square foot, but maybe have not as ideal of layout. So there's always a little bit of kind of wiggle room there. And it's not as simple as people might think. So obviously, if you know a good real estate agent or if you have someone that you're willing to trust on this, you can go out and get it. But a lot of times, it's not as important as doing that. So what I usually tell people is that you can use a 10% rule, or in other words, a 10% cap rate, to figure out at least if you're kind of in the sweet spot of this. Because in that example before, if this person was paying you know, $195,000 and the rent going forward is going to be two hundred. Yeah, I'd rather be already showing at least that, but we're extremely close and materially about the same here. And where this 10% rule comes into play is for my clients that have no idea if they are even close. And so what I always do is I kind of give them a quick quiz, right? And so let's just use that same $100,000 example. And I'm talking to them and maybe i am doing an evaluation. Maybe it's just a monthly client. And I say, all right, we're paying about $100,000 in rent. You know, where do you think as far as fair market value is that? And they say, Hunt, I have no clue. I think it's pretty close, but I just don't know. So what I always ask them is I say, well, hey, rough numbers. How much do you think that that building is worth? And if they come back and they say, hey, Hunt, I think it's probably worth about a million bucks, then I say, we're probably right in the ballpark. Because the way this 10% rule works is you take whatever the building value is and multiply times 10%. So if we have a million-dollar building, we multiply it times 10%, we get $100,000. That means that your annual rent on a million-dollar building should be about $100,000 a year. I don't use this in the absolute sense because obviously these are rough figures on it, but I at least can kind of do a smell test or a Sandy check to know we're in the right area. Now, where I could kind of use this on the high side or low side is, obviously, if that person's paying themselves $100,000 a year in rent, And they say their building is worth $3 million. I know using that 10% rule that their annual rent should be closer to $300,000, not $100,000. Now, on the flip side is if your building is worth $500,000, you know, the 10% rule means that you're only paying yourself $100,000, but it should only be $50,000. Now, paying too much is a lot better than paying too little in most situations on it because it's a very easy conversation to be able to say, hey, you know what? This business is paying itself $100,000 a year for the last five years, but when you buy my business, you're only going to need to pay me $50,000. So that means the business is only going to be more valuable, and obviously you can cover that expense. Now, one of the things to keep in mind here is if you're paying yourself really way above market value of it, then you might be putting unneeded stress on the business. If it's still profitable and still operating, then fine. And at the end of the day, like I said, paying too much is better than paying too little. I don't generally like to go overboard on this stuff because there is some kind of uh, concerns to think about that we won't really get into. But if you're going to err on the high side or the low side, generally err a little bit on the high side of things. Now, as I mentioned before, you know, most of this stuff, as we're talking about, I'm, you know, usually referring to an S corporation. You know, the conventional model shop is an S corp, uh, rental real estate is an LLC. And in that situation, there's really not a whole lot of planning opportunities. However, if your shop is set up as a C corporation and you have a separate rental LLC, then there actually is a benefit of paying yourself higher rent. Because in a C corporation, there's only really two ways to get any money out of the business. You either pay yourself payroll, which obviously has payroll taxes on it, or you pay yourself a dividend, which is you know taxed twice and really what everyone's trying to avoid. And so a big strategy with C-corporations is, well, hey, if I'm a self-rental, I'll just jack my rent up and I'll pay myself more rent out of my C-corporation so that I get better tax treatment on this LLC. Now, this is something where the IRS will scrutinize this because you're kind of getting some tax advantages by doing this. So again, it needs to be based in reason here. You know, it can't just be an outrageous figure. But it's a little bit of a gray area. Is the IRS ever going to come in and say, hey, you're paying yourself 120000 versus 110000 I don't think so, right? But it could be an issue. So if you're a C corporation you know, and you're trying to get that higher than market value rent or you want to kind of get aggressive on that, I'd really recommend probably getting some sort of opinion or some sort of paperwork that kind of justifies your position. Hey, the going rate is X dollars per square foot. I have this many square foots. This is why I'm paying myself eight thousand dollars a month or eighty thousand dollars a year, whatever it is. But again, you know, if you're a C corporation, that's where we're always going to be on the higher side. So to wrap this all up on how much rent you should pay yourself, right? Keep in mind a couple of things. Generally, the higher the better. In really no situations do we want to be paying ourselves nothing or too little. Um, And if you absolutely have no idea where you stand, make sure that your rent is around 10% on an annual basis compared to the value of your business. Obviously, the biggest question that I get is, well, Hunt, what is fair market value rent? How much I should be paying myself? The next question is always, hey, Hunt, I have this expense or that expense. Should I pay for this through the shop or should I pay through this through my rental LLC? So in a perfect world, pretty much all expenses should be paid out of the operating entity. Most shops, whether you own it yourself or you're renting from a landlord, are set up as triple net leases, meaning that the tenant pays for taxes, insurance, and repairs. Think about it. If you know this is kind of customary in the industry on it, if you have an unrelated uh, landlord, then it's a good deal for them because, hey, I don't have to pay for the taxes, insurance, or repairs. The shop's going to pay for all of that stuff, and I just need to cover my mortgage. Now, with a rental LLC of a self-rental situation, again, it's not as important whether we're deducting here or deducting there in a perfect world, right? All taxed, almost exactly the same on it. But remember we talked about before, we do not want that rental LLC to show a loss. And we know that we just have interest as a deduction, right? Because it's at least going to pay for the mortgage on it. It's going to be very easy to forecast what that rental LLC income will be. If we don't have a triple net lease and we try to run repairs or other things down through the rental LLC, we could get ourselves into a tricky situation, right? Let's say that you have major repairs that you need to get done for the year, um, way more than you guys had ever forecasted in the past. And if you run that through down through your rental LLC, your rental LLC might not have the income to be able to offset those expenses. And we get ourselves put into a loss on the rental LLC. And like we talked about before. In a situation where we have losses that we can't use to offset the income from the shop. So generally, all this stuff we pay over on the operating entity itself, really for the biggest idea of we want to make sure that we don't show a loss on a rental LLC. You know, that's obviously the day-to-day stuff. The taxes, insurance, repairs, got it. All of that should be over on the shop. What about some other things that we do or common things that come up? One example of those is leasehold improvements on the shop. What a leasehold improvement is, is improvements or renovations done to the building or done to you know the land itself that don't expand the existing square foot of your shop, right? So let's say that you get new signage. Let's say you get new siding. Let's say you get a new roof, new floors done, redecorate the waiting area, new lighting in the shop, right? All of these things that we're improving the real estate, but we're not actually adding any additional square footage of the shop itself. All of these leasehold improvements we're going to run down through the shop. The biggest reason we're going to run down all this down through the shop is things like this, leasehold improvements that don't expand the existing square footage of your business qualify for accelerated depreciation. So let's say that I do a major renovation. I redo my waiting area. I redo the break room. I redo the offices and I spend $150,000. If I put that through my rental LLC... Unless I'm showing a ton of profit over there, I'm not even going to be able to take all of that losses this year or probably in the next couple years just because of the magnitude of what we spent. However, as long as my shop is profitable on this, I can take that full loss over on the shop. And even if it puts us into a negative income type situation, I can still take that loss. So for the leasehold improvement, since we're allowed to take accelerated depreciation on it, we want that on the shop to again, maximize our tax deduction And ensure that we don't have a loss on the real estate. Now, on the other side of things, what happens if you want to have an addition? I was just talking to my client the other day that has four bays right now and is going to go out to nine bays on it. So pretty much doubling the square footage of this. So that would not be considered a leasehold improvement or not a qualified leasehold improvement where we can take accelerated depreciation. So for really two reasons here, right? First thing is the tax treatment isn't as good if you do an addition. So the tax treatment on doing an addition is essentially like you bought a whole nother building, you know, and in different cases, um, it can be a little bit uh, tricky here, but more or less, if you'd buy a building, you get to depreciate the cost over 39 years, not the best tax deduction, not something that we're overly concerned about killing our income or putting us into a loss situation. Also, if we're making an addition to the property on it, we're actually adding more real estate. So it only makes sense that the real estate entity owns that, you know, compared to the improvements, it's, Hey, the property is still exactly the same. We're just making it nicer in this situation. Hey, we have a bigger building now. So not only do we want to take that through the LLC, but as we talked about before, if I'm doubling the square footage of my building, then I need to go back and I need to update on what this operating entity should be paying me in the form of rent as well. Improvements on the shop, additions on the rental LLC. So the last thing I'm gonna put in here on who should pay for what expenses is a question that comes up sometimes, not a lot, but I wanted to mention this here. And so some people say, well, hey Hunt, to kind of separate my liability, should I actually have my real estate company own my actual equipment? Right. And so the operating entity itself does not actually own in the equipment. It's leasing not only the building, but also the equipment itself to the operating entity. I do not like to do this. The reason is, is we lose that distinction between the two entities in a lot of situations here. What I mean by that is, you know, the whole idea of what we talked about this entire episode is kind of mitigating our losses or kind of segmenting those risks into two different entities. So remember, if someone slips and falls in a parking lot, they're suing the rental LLC. We forget wheels on a car. They're suing the operating entity or the shop itself. But we kind of have a clear distinction between the two. However, if you have the rental LLC also owning the equipment that, you know, the operating business is actually using to work with, those lines are not as clear as they were before. And it really kind of blends the whole thing together. Now, at the end of the day, if you get sued, they're going to name anyone and everyone on it. But since we don't get any added benefit by having that equipment, arguably we have some downsides because it limits our availability to deduct some of these expenses on it. We do not like the rental LLC to own the equipment. At the core of it, rental LLC should be only owning the real estate, any additions to it, and really the only expense they should be paying is the mortgage and the associated interest on it. Everything else should be done through the shop. You know, and if you have any sort of kind of questions on it, you know, talk to your accountant, talk to your CPA and ask these kinds of questions. And another thing is it's not the end of the world if you kind of messed up one place or another, because it's something that for all of our clients, we take a look at the end of the year. And what I mean by that is if I have a client that did a bunch of renovations and they ran it through their rental LLC and we're not going to get a benefit for it, there's ways that we can recategorize that and say, hey, you know what? It was paid for by the rental LLC, but we're going to recognize this over on the shop and vice versa. So as long as you haven't closed out the tax return on it yet, not the end of the world, just make sure that you're kind of abreast of these things and asking questions so that you're not making a mistake that, you know, is as simple as a paperwork issue, but could cost you some tax money. To wrap this all up, you know, when done correctly, a rental real estate LLC is very simple and easy way to mitigate your liability of running your business. It also should now be an income stream for you to generate and keep cash. Once this is in your rental LLC, you can do as it as you please. You could use the reserves for a rainy day, right? A lot of my clients, you know, pay themselves, hire them what they need to cover the mortgage, not only to be at fair market value, but also to kind of use as a savings account. If you have that savings account or if you have those reserves, you could also use it to pay down extra on the mortgage. Now, a little kind of uh, tip here. If your mortgage is really cheap interest right now, 4% or something like that, I'm probably not going to use it to aggressively pay down my debt just because like we talked about, rates are so high. But if you want to, I'm never going to be mad at it. Paying down debt is generally always a good thing. And lastly, obviously, if you have these extra reserves in your rental LLC, you are the LLC, you are the sole owner, or maybe you and your spouse are sole owners of this rental LLC. So you can take distributions out of that company. You're going to pay tax on it. Obviously you've already done that, but any money that's left over there is free to do what you want to do with, right? So if your rental LLC has 50,000 in the bank account right now and you take a distribution out of there, it is not going to positively or negatively affect your taxes whatsoever. So if you're looking at this and saying, Hey, I need some cash. I don't want to take it out of the shop, but my rental LLC has money on it. You're good to take that out. Won't affect you at all for taxes in most situations. Obviously, take this advice. It's generally going to work for almost anyone. But if you have any concerns or you have a unique situations, always check with your accountant to ensure that you're not doing something that you shouldn't be there. I hope this has been helpful for you. I hope this is something that you maybe picked up a couple pieces. Hopefully you're doing all this stuff right anyways. And you're like, Hunt, I already knew all this. Great. But Share this with friends. If you have someone that you know is rented to yourselves, this is not only applicable for a shop, but pretty much all self-employed or self-rental type situations would fall into a similar situation. Now, every industry is going to have their own little intricacies here, but the core ideas are going to remain the same. If you have any questions on this, comments, or ideas for a future episode, please shoot me an email at podcast at parmelis.com. So thanks again for listening on the Aftermarket Radio Network. You can find all shows on aftermarketradionetwork.com and on your favorite podcast listing app. So thanks again for joining me on Business by the Numbers. Stay safe out there. And I will talk to you all next week. You've been listening to Business by the Numbers with Hunt Demarest on the Aftermarket Radio Network. Follow Hunt on your favorite podcast listening app. Let him know what you'd like him to cover. His email is in the show notes. Hunt is all for Advancing the Aftermarket.